A dance CEO thrives every day with focus on gratitude, growth, and feeling aligned. Unapologetically putting themselves first, striving to become their best self personally and professionally, creating their own definition of fulfillment and success, rejecting the starving artist mentality and competition mindset for one of abundance in all things, including the success of other dance business owners. Welcome to the Dance CEO Podcast. Hello, I'm Audra Allen, the Dance CEO Coach lifelong dancer, choreographer, and educator. I'm a happily remarried, part-time mom of two little humans and three bonus little humans, proud thriver of adult-diagnosed ADHD, lover of the beach, travel, houseplants, reading, and your host for today's episode. Thank you for being here. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here for another week with the Danceo podcast. Today, I have with me Michelle Lookadu, who is the co-founder of Dance End. Thanks for being with us today, Michelle. Thanks for having me. So excited. Uh, just a really quick background for those who don't know, Dancend provides mental health services for dancers and dance educators. And Michelle, let's go ahead and just dive, I'll just, let's just take it away. Explain a bit more about what you do with Dancend. Yeah. Well, so Dancend started um, when uh, I was the Associate Dean of Undergraduate Studies at a college here in LA, and my co-founder was the chair of the dance department. Um, and we were on a outdoor play date during COVID with our toddlers at the time. We were talking about how uh, we really needed to find some resources for the dance department um, to kind of just help them through all the things that they were working with. And then we started talking about how dancers don't really listen to anybody that doesn't get dance. (laughs) Um, So we started looking for resources that um, to support the mental health and wellness of the dancers in that dance department. And we just couldn't really find anything. There was like very few, there were very few resources that were dance specific. So then we were like, let's just make them. So, <laughs> so I called a friend who is an LMFT, or licensed, licensed marriage and family therapist, um, and asked her a little bit about a few things. And she got us in touch with some psychiatrists and psychologists that understand dance. And so um, for about the next year, we did nothing but research and create resources and do beta testing and like feedback groups and that kind of thing. Um, and then I quit my job as the dean and um, we started Dance End um, in about 20, well, April of 2021. So it's just now um, been two years. Yeah, that's amazing. I know we first connected shortly after you guys came mm-hmm. out and started doing your thing. And I absolutely love that. Once again, we are reinventing what it means to have a dance business. You know, a dance yeah. business in the dance world is anything that supports the dance industry. And these are areas, mental health resources for dancers specifically in a way that they understand. So imperative and important. And I wish I would have had this resource in my professional career in college age years. Me too. I wish my teachers had this resource. So um, business-wise, our original business model wasn't exactly what we what is now we're finding <laughs> successful. Um, originally, we were like, okay, let's create resources for the dancers, which worked and which we do have. But we found that the people, our target audience isn't dancers. Our target audience, if we're going to make a huge change, is the educators, is the choreographers, is the studio owners, is the business owners. So um, we've been doing things like we have a a competition judge training certification. Um, We have a dance educator, mental wellness certifications. We do um, youth mental health, first aid and adult 
mental health first aid through the National Council for Mental Wellbeing for dance educators. So we, about after the first year, we were like, no, wait, we're not, we're not, our target audience isn't the dancers. <laughs> it's the people that are influence, in, influencing the dancers. So, Which is a bigger yeah. impact much faster anyways, because you're getting one yeah. person to reach out to so many more. Yeah, that sounds not exactly the same thing, but my experience when I first started my business, and I know it's a common story, is you go in with one idea of what you're doing and like mm -hmm. who you think you're going to reach. And I love that you guys did the beta groups and the, you know, the testing and all of that. But even after a year, you're like, nope, the feedback we're getting is this not reaching who we want to get to and it's not being resonated. So for me, when I started my business, it was meant to be high school age students teaching online to supplement their dance training. And all the people that responded to me was adults. Everybody who resonated <laughs> with my messaging were adult dancers. And I was like, I guess this is my target audience. And it just went yeah. from there and I had no idea. So I love that you did all the business like things, which was you did your research, you listened to your audience and you realized that you can still reach the dancers, but in a much bigger impacted way by shifting how you're showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I use, use my education for good. I have a, I have an MBA. So I was like, Oh, I'll get some of those dollars back. Hopefully. Yeah. I also <laughs> love that you're one of the few people who actually has a business degree and is using it that we know of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. it is, you know, I had been dancing for 20 years and I had to get my master's to be promoted to Dean. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I want a master's in dance. I already know about dance. I want something that that is going to help me, but in a different way. So, yeah, I love that. Can we actually dive into that for a second? Will you just yeah. give a little bit more context? Because I have a feeling MBAs are like such a foreign concept for dancers. Yeah. So what does it stand for? For first of all, what's an MBA? So it's a master's of business administration. And um, so uh, the reason I actually went into, uh, you know, um, getting my MBA was because my lit agent, I had given her a proposal for a book that was called The Business of Dance. And I wanted to apply business concepts to like, you know, entrepreneurial mindset within the dance industry. Um, and then I get, got started, you know, in the degree and I was like, oh my gosh, this is fun. And I'm like, I love this. And like, um, so you do, there are a lot of different aspects of like, you know, a degree in business, you know, you learn thing, everything from, you know, marketing to like how to create a product for, and for a market for, to like running, like accounting, like my favorite thing was accounting. I love numbers. <laughs> I was like, Who are you? <laughs> I'm like, I will like, and then, oh, like I will run you a regression analysis. I love like forecasting, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, so that's awesome. So it's a lot. Of, and then like leadership and management classes too, which were like super helpful for me. Um, so it really is kind of an overview of, of business and how you, how you are, how you become a, you know, business owner or a manager in business. Um, so I've been using a lot of that, um, in running my own business. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, I didn't have any of that background. None of my degrees were in business, anything. I never thought I'd have a business. And so I went the route of university Google, essentially, you know, ask a Google a question, find the answer, apply, which is why I ended up creating the Business Academy for Dancers was to remove all of that and give like the one-on-one of business for dancers who want to look into starting from A to Z, just literally here are the basics. So, you know, and you don't have to go do all of that work since so many dancers don't go down the business educational route. 
Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the reason I actually went the route of getting a degree was because I, I needed to, right. Um, to get my promotion <laughs> to Dean. Um, but I think there's so much information out there that don't quote me on saying this, but I don't think you necessarily need a good degree yeah. in, in anything, <laughs> unless you're like a doctor or right. <laughs> like, but, um, but you know, if you are, determined and curious enough to find the right information on the internet. Like it's pretty much the same. Yeah. I always, I do say that you don't have to have a degree to run a business. Now, again, I agree, right. There's certain things that you have to have those qualifications for. I'm not going to go to someone who's not a, you know, a licensed doctor, right. For my medical challenges, <laughs> you know, health wise, but at the same time, if you have that curiosity to learn how to do the thing, you'll also, I think, learn how to identify those who are not at the quality that you'd be seeking versus they are. So yeah. I think that ties that in too. Um, yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for giving that example that there's other mm -hmm. ways to bring in and tie, which is what I love about this podcast is pulling back the curtain to help people in the dance world see that there's so much more than just teaching and or performing. And you can add so much more to that. I love that. That's so great. Yeah. I actually make my, so I teach at AMDA um, and I, I make some of my college students uh, make lists of different dance related careers, because I think we can, um, I think our dance culture is very um, siloed in its thinking. Um, mm -hmm. But then as we like kind of grow up, we realize there are many different careers that involve dance dance. I mean, I've, I literally, like I have a, I, I have, I'm a published author with Roman and Littlefield and I wrote a dance book. Like it's not it's has, you know, it's, that's not performing or teaching. I mean, you can be a dance photographer, an agent, mm -hmm. uh, we could do what you're doing. You can do what I'm doing. There's so mm -hmm. many different things that you can do. So it's a fun brainstorm. Yeah. I love that. And also with COVID happening, so many people expanded and realized they could do so much more than just dance or perform. Yeah. And some common ones I'm seeing now are like mindset experts or coaches for dancers. And actually they're starting to add that position into the competition circuit. So they actually there have mm -hmm. there's certain competition um, venues that actually have that role being filled now. And that's regular education you can take when you go to competition, which I absolutely love. And my definition of a dance business is anyone who supports the dance world. So, you know, yes, and like I'm a physical therapist, right? Uh, well, someone I'm working with in my program right now, she's a concert pianist, but she's creating courses to help dance ba ballet teachers be more musically educated to better inform their classes. So she supports, she's a dance business, you know, like, yeah. so really the sky's the limit. If you're passionate about something that you can tie and relate to the dance world, you can have a dance business. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, good. Totally. <laughs> but I think also you and I both know that with the professional world and whether teaching or performing, there's a lot of stress. And even now as being educators and working with our clients in any capacity, there is so much that ties into the mental wellness and the health and I know that's what you and your co-founder really focus on with Dan Sen. So let's shift into that a little bit more. Like yeah. what's just like the most, if there's one message you could share today with the listeners, what would be the one, I'm sure we'll talk about lots of things, but what's the one <laughs> thing that you like, if like, this is all you could say today, what would it be? Ask, ask and listen. Um, I think one of the major challenges that we have in the dance industry is as educators, we really don't have much verbal feedback from dancers. Mm. I, I've gone weeks without talking, you know, like in a dance company, like no one asks you your opinion. No one, you know, you come in and you 
you basically stand at the bar and you dance and you do what you're told. And every now and then you'll ask a question maybe, but not very often. So, um, so if anything, uh, if you can do anything to support the mental health and wellness of, of dancers, uh, it's ask how they are. Mm. And it doesn't have to be deep. It can just be like, what are three, you know, three words that describe how you're feeling. You can tell a lot from the way someone says three words. It gives dancers the opportunity to, um, they can feel heard. They, it also just kind of says, uh, it's okay to have feelings. I recognize that you have mm-hmm. feelings. You're not a robot dancer that is, you know, expendable and, you know, um, all the things that we have been told when we were younger. Um, but you know, it can really give you insight. And from that insight, you can just ask more questions, but, but if we don't ask, if we don't give dancers the opportunity to even have any input at all, um, then, you know, they're struggling in silence. Yeah. So two things come to mind with that. One is I know with my coaching clients, before we do any grounding or dive in exercises with our calls, I always ask them now to say a word or a phrase to describe how they currently are doing. Mm -hmm. And then but then also on the other side of this, if we grew up in the dance world or we weren't allowed to be heard, have you know, have you had any backlash or found any resistance with those who are supposed to be asking and then listen if they're struggling with the listening since that's not something that they got? Like, how's that been going when you talk to the educators about it? Yeah, well, there's a few different kind of schools of thought, right? Like some people are like all about it and let's talk about our feelings and then there are some teachers who rightfully so say they don't have time for that, right? Like we don't, we have to get through this and we have to get through this piece and we have to do this. And, and also that opens a can of worms and also that takes away my authority and then they don't respect me anymore. And, you know, also dancers need tough love. They don't need feelings. They need to work hard and be held to a high standard and have discipline and all those things. <laughs> Um, all the toxic parts yeah well we and we've had like you know we have a a pretty large council of educators that are part of our um, weekly meetings excuse me and um we've had some some people just say like you know I don't I don't want to talk about feelings because my students are too soft anyway you know like kids these days are are too soft. They don't have any resilience and, you know, all this stuff. And I could go into that like crazy, yeah, but that'd be it, a whole nother episode. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I can go over that. Um, but I will say, so there have been a, a large number of studies on um, the success of not necessarily dancers, but of young adults in an educational setting, in an educational environment. And, you know, I think the major fear is that we're not holding students to a high standard when we tell them that it's okay to be sad. Um, But all of the research points to um, students are most successful when they are held to a high level of achievement. It's just that they need to, along with that high level of achievement, they need to have a high level of perceived support. So mm-hmm. as in like, I am going to challenge you to do this really hard thing and I'm going to tell you how to do it. And I'm going to be with you the whole way, as opposed to like, do this hard thing and don't have feelings. Right. And, and so sometimes that looks like, you know, I, I see that, you know, dancer number one, you've told me that you, that you feel sad today and and I hear you. Um, please talk to me afterwards if you want to talk a little bit more, but I also challenge you to let's just try for five minutes. I believe in you. I can believe that 
you can stay in this class and like, you know, try to work through it. And, you know, so, so, um, so it's not either or, you know, it's yeah. just bringing the the conversation into the dance studio. That actually just brought up a memory from my college years and my undergrad. And um, <laughs> on the relationship side, I had just broken up with my boyfriend right before a jazz class with my teacher my freshman year. But I didn't <laughs> go to college for three years, so I was like 20 at this time. Um, so I came in and I'm just like sobbing right like the heartbreak the young love all of that and i was in that place where i didn't think i could get it together for class so i'm about to like maybe i leave and i'm trying to figure out if i should go or leave in classes starting and my teacher come over and he's like hey unless it's like something's physically wrong with you i encourage you to come dance in class and see if you can use those emotions to help you through class today and that was life-changing because we never really were given that's like either you show up and you're fully present and looking calm and neutral or if you've got so big anything, it shouldn't be in the space. Yeah. Now, granted, there's place, right? If you're like hysterical or something, right? But yeah, if you don't have emotion, I mean, we all have emotion. When, when are you never not feeling something? So if we're told that we can't have a feeling with us in the classroom, then we're never all going to show up to class. So, And also then we're not going to have emotions to to bring into the the room when we are asked to perform. Right, yeah. Create a character, right? Like he yep. did something amazing. He validated your emotions, but also like challenged you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's awesome. That's what we want all teachers to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but the, I mean, the other challenge is that like all teachers at some point have been students and most likely because we didn't really have this education 20, 30 years ago have, have experienced like some level of trauma in the dance mm -hmm. studio um, and are, you know, having to either, you know, deal with it or kind of break free of that or like recognize what happened and like made it make a change. So, you know, we're all human and we're all just kind of working through our own crap. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. I always say that your profession, your business, whatever you're pursuing is only as successful as you are doing personally. You cannot separate the two because really it is a part of you. Especially in the dance world, if you are a dancer at your heart and then you do something professionally in the dance world, you cannot separate that. You are literally still attached to it emotionally. Yeah. Um, this is just had me wondering, kind of wonder if then I've had experiences with clients where sometimes I need to give them permission, like they already had it, but they just needed to hear that they had permission to shift into these ways of thinking because, you know, the, the culture we were brought up in, right, is so not this. Mm -hmm. And then like, it's okay. Like there's still room for you to actually shift into this way of thinking, to teach like this, to show up like this, like to actually have permission that it is okay to let go of those ways we were told for so long and ingrained that it was not okay. Yeah. Have you had those experiences? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the beauty of what you do too, is like, you know, sometimes, you know, a, a coach doesn't always have all of the answers. Right but they ask you the questions and they give you the permission and, you know, like they, um, the, obviously the majority of the dance world is, uh, female identifying, mm -hmm. um, female presenting, um, the, and the way, you know, often we raise young female presenting people is, in a different way than we raise the rest of the kids in the world. Um, and I think that sometimes there are some uh, things hanging on from older generations that, that kind of make us think we need to ask for permission or have permission mm -hmm. or have the door opened for us to have a seat at the table, whatever table it is, you know? Right. 
So, um, so yeah, if, if you are a human that could give permission or ask questions about, you know, anyone that yeah, like, like do it, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's encourage each other. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, also my experience but has also been, which I imagine for those who are in your councils, anyone who's proactively taking steps to be part of organizations or work with a coach who they do understand, even if it's subconsciously, that there's a shift that they're desiring, but you know, yeah. to express themselves, to be a part of. So already, you know, one foot's in the door when right. you're in that situation. So you've already done that first hardest step. You've made the choice to take that first step. So that's huge. And that's really where the shifts happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, the shift happens just by asking the question, is this the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. Like the, the biggest challenge is let's just do it this way because we've always done it this way. Yeah. That is where we get stuck. <laughs> yep. Questions invite conversation and, and, you know, ideas and differing opinions. And that's wonderful. You know? Yeah. I actually was just having a conversation with a friend. Um, she's uh, someone who started taking ballet as an adult in life. And she is mm-hmm. currently taking class from someone who I took class from to supplement my training as a teenager. So this particular dance owner, educator, she's older in years and she is someone who is not very online like savvy so she's not spent over a lot of you know time online currently and there's been so much happening because of internet right right? especially since covid and so i've been seeing a very distinct line of those who are older of the older generations who really still kind of instill this maybe not the most healthiest ways of teaching and such and they're just kind of aloof that the shift is happening in the dance world, that there are those of us who are having these conversations, who are taking action and that we're spreading the message and trying to help others shift. And it's so interesting to still see people impacted now from something that was commonly accepted 40 years ago and is still showing up now, but we're still trying to tra- change those barriers. And it's really, I think, the, the beauty of the internet and how everybody really turned to online with COVID. I think things, so many doors opened because of that. Yeah. And I think we all, especially in the dance industry, uh, I definitely realize that we have significantly more shared experiences mm-hmm. than we really think. Like we are all so similar in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really cool to have this community. But but I also think like with older, you know, so we, did, we were talking about ageism in dance a little while ago and kind of how that impacts mental health. But everyone's different, but, but, uh, often that kind of inability to, to accept or be interested in kind of a change, um, just comes from fear or from like one's identity being questioned, right? Like if your identity is wrapped up in that you are the ballet teacher that is, you know, doesn't accept anyone using the restroom during your class, then, you know, (laughs) so like, there's so many layers to that too. You might unpack and might not unpack, you know? Yeah. So it's also that that's where it's individually based again, but still support for those who, if you make the choice to do the unpacking, there are those who are ready to support and help that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. We found an amazing community. So we meet every Monday uh, virtually at 815 Pacific. Um, and we talk about there, we have 52 different topics that we, that we talk about the different topic every week, anything from bullying in the dance studio to body image, to, um, 
uh, gender, race, inclusivity, to um, costuming, to perfectionism, to like uh, power dynamics in the dance studio, like all of these different things has been really cool. Um, and then we bring in mental health professionals to chat and do Q and A's on like all of those different topics. So it's been really cool. Um, our theme for May is uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, and accessibility in the dance studio and how it impacts uh, mental health. So it's been really cool. To Just a small it. little topic, nothing, nothing big <laughs> there. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I think it's something that's not, it's the elephant in the room. You know, like 85.4% yeah. of the of the humans pursuing post-secondary degrees in ballet are female and 74% of them are white. Like, I'm like, yo, we're not talking about this enough, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's definitely something to talk about, but it also like the, the impact on the mental health and wellness of um, underrepresented communities within like the dance world is, is really big too. Yeah, I love that that's the next focus. We'll definitely add in the show notes more information about Yay. Dance End and the council and all that for someone who's intrigued to learn more. We'll definitely have links for that in the show notes. Awesome. Um, okay, so I love that you are having these conversations and you're helping those and you just gave a really good tip of just ask and then listen. Let's dive into some other ways that dancers and educators can cope with the stress of today in the dance world. Yeah, well, so... Today's stressors, unfortunately, many of them are chronic, right? Mm. Um, so there is this ongoing phone thing we have and, you know, like worrying about um, information 24-7 and people trying to get our, our, our eyeballs for even a fraction of a second. Um, but also in the dance industry, we have added stressors on top of that, Right. So um, there was a, a minding the gap survey that said, I think it was 40 something percent of the dancers surveyed had um, body physique anxiety, which is anxiety that happens when someone looks at your body. And I'm like, that's dance. Right. So, so literally <laughs> from day one. <laughs> Are you tired of constantly feeling stuck, even though you know you want to achieve more personally and professionally? Do you wish you had more time to live a balanced life but believe you'll never be able to afford it? Are you struggling to achieve your goals on your own? You are not alone in this. In fact, these challenges are more common in the dance business world than you may realize. And most, if not all, of my coaching clients were experiencing this when we first started working together. Maybe it's time for you to consider joining a group coaching program that is designed specifically with dance entrepreneurs, leaders, and CEOs in mind by someone who has already been there. No more joining business programs for entrepreneurs who just don't quite get the unique challenges of the dance world or having to attempt to translate what you've been learning about business in a way that makes sense for your creative mind. I'm talking about the Dance CEO University an intimate four-month group coaching program led by myself, Audra Allen-Queen, who has been exactly where you are and knows how to guide you to achieve your goals by evidence of the 200 plus clients I've already supported. Imagine that in just four months, you are already experiencing the success you thought may never occur. Imagine that you are actively taking time for yourself, your family and loved ones without any guilt or even sacrificing your profession. Imagine having systems in place that support the life you desire and help you grow your business. 
The Dance CEO University group coaching program does all this and even more when you invest in yourself and your future. Surround yourself with like-minded individuals and gain the accountability, support, and guidance you need to reach your full potential. You'll have access to an expert coach, relevant and media action-taking resources, and a community of peers who will challenge and motivate you to achieve your dreams. The next round of the Dance CEO University starts beginning of July, so hurry because doors will close soon and there are only six available for this next round. If you're interested to learn more, visit www.thedanceceocoach.com university. So there are so many other factors that are included in dance, right? So um, being on stage in front of hundreds, thousands of people, um, being um, scantily clothed, being um, held to a super high standard, um, the ridiculously small amount of jobs there are in the industry, the competitiveness, there are so many stressors like in the dance industry but also dance educators, right? Like we're asked to be like, we're not just like, you know, jazz teachers. We're like physical therapists. We're Mm. psychiatrists. We're costume sewers. We're (laughs) choreographers. We're music cutters. We're like, we do, we do all the things and we just do it because that's kind of what we do. Um, so there's, first of all, so there's a lot of stressors. Um, but I say stress, um, we all kind of, or before I did the research on it, I kind of thought that stress was all bad, but it's not like stress is actually good for us in some ways, right? It depends on how we couch it. So, so there's you stress that is like the great kind of stress. You stress is like, you know, um, one of my, I was talking to my, one of my son's friend's dad's the other day and he like was talking to Michael Keaton at a t-ball game like on accident for like five minutes and then was like wait you're Michael Keaton you know (laughs) (laughs) and so so that's like you stress that's like like the excitement of like seeing someone but but that's fantastic it's the same thing as a roller coaster it's the thing Mm -hmm. same thing you know, new stress is a, is a neutral feeling about something that could be stressful, like an earthquake in a in a country you know nothing about, or you you know, like, um, you know, uh, my, you know, mom's neighbor that has gout surgery, or I don't even know. I'm like, I don't know. Um, so that's you stress. So, but the the problem is that we have way too much distress in our mm. lives, which is a stress that causes negative impacts on our. Um, daily activities on our um, social lives, on our physical lives, on, you know, our ability to cope with like the regular things that happen in our lives. Um, And a majority, unfortunately, of Americans actually are um, demonstrating uh, symptoms of having ongoing stress. Um, So stress is, is, not something that seems to be going away, right? Um, but it is in relation to like a perceived threat. Like, so it's really interesting to like, kind of if you're, so tips as far as that, as far as like, if you're a dance educator dealing with dancers who are maybe stressed, um, finding what their perceived threat is, is really important, right? So, um, you know, a dancer could be scared to go on stage, but that doesn't tell you what they're really scared of, right? They're not scared of the stage. They're, 
either scared of the the judge that is, you know, giving them a score or they're afraid to embarrass their themselves around their peers, or maybe there's some mm. interpersonal conflict and, or they don't want to let down their team because they're the weakest person on this group, all a turn combination. Don't even get me started on all a turn. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, or maybe their perceived threat is their parents because they know that their parents have spent all of their money mm. on dance and they want to prove them. So asking the dancer, like, what are you really worried about? Like, what do you think will happen? can help you kind of disseminate those, those stressors, those, those, those worries about what it is, right. Because it can just feel very nebulous, like without, you know, talking about it. Um, preparing ahead of time too, for stressful situations can be really helpful, right? So the more we know about what we think is going to happen, um, the less stress we have, because most of our stress comes from worrying about the future. And if we already have, a way to deal with the future, then we tend to be less stressed. So if you, I said the competition, let's say you're going taking your dancers to a competition, um, talk through it. You can even look through like um, photos of the venue. You can look at videos of what that competition looks like, what the stage looks like, what the teachers look like. You can talk through what if somebody's mean to you backstage, what are you going to say? And you can have them practice what they say, you know, <laughs> like um, the more of those unknown factors that you can give a known response to the less stress there. there, there yeah. And so yeah. being proactive instead of reactive sets you up for so much more success. And then of course, there'll always be things that they can't control or any of us, but the more you can be proactive about the more you're able to live in like your healthy zone of response and just show up your more fully versus like in fight or fight or flight, you know, in survival mm -hmm. mode. Yeah. That makes yeah. So much sense. And actually, so we say fight, uh, I think like the, the, the term fight or flight, but I think, you know, it's, it's now there's four of them. There's fight, flight, freeze, right? Yep. Yes. Or fawn. And I have found that fawning, doing whatever you need to do to make the situation okay, people pleasing mm -hmm. is something that's so prevalent in the dance community. Yes. Um, especially amongst like young folks. Like they just will do anything. Like I will give a ridiculous combination and I'll just say, everybody got it. And everybody goes, uh-huh. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> don't just say, don't just say what you think you want me to hear. Yes. Like say what you feel. And, you know, that's another important thing to like ask dancers if they, see, if they are, you know, whether they're in, a, in an acute stress response or not, like making them communicate what their needs are is important because often they don't even think what their needs are. They're not even thinking about what their needs are, much less yep. how to communicate them, huh. you know? So. Yeah, and I think that goes back to I even think. just asking like three words to describe how they're feeling. And you no, know, first, unfortunately it gives them you know, that permission concept, but it gives them permission to say, take a moment and tap in with yourself. And I want to mm -hmm. hear how you're doing. And that, that even that just that internal connection, because we do so much like m muscular skeletal awareness, but we don't do emotional awareness and dance. Mm -hmm. And then from there, then be able to start having those honest abilities to check in throughout the class versus I just want to be perfect for the teacher. My expectation is this. Then they can say, I don't have it. I have a question. But I think the other part of this is too, is 
my experience has been when the teachers have said ask questions, but then you ask a question and there's a retaliation from the teacher because the teacher hasn't done their work to unpack, right? And they're still holding on to their things and there's still some type of punishment that they didn't know, even though they said they wanted you to ask questions, right? I think there's still a lot of fear that comes from that. So the teacher is not just presenting the opportunities. How are you responding to that? Are you really ready for students to ask questions? Have you done your internal work that you have holding space for them to show up, not knowing everything perfectly, which of course no one does, but to remove those unrealistic expectations that were posed on you in the dance world. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, you know, we think of the brain and the body as separate, right? Like this is what I think, but this is what I do, but they're so interconnected. I mean, I... even the physiological uh, effects of an acute stress response, like affect our dancing physically. Like, you know, you see when you are focused in on a perceived threat, like your pupils dilate when you are having a stress response, right? So basically your vision is like portrait mode on your phone. What does that do? It maybe makes dancers where they are not checking out their spacing because they actually physically cannot see the dancers to the sides of them because they're stressed out. Um, the increased blood flow changes the actual shape of your eardrum. So we are not able to hear the same sounds when we are having a stress response as we can when we are not. So if you have that dancer that's not hitting it on the five and they're not hitting it on the five and you're like, why? They might not actually be able to hear the five because they're so stressed about not hitting it on the five, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like there's so many things like our brain is actually less able to assimilate uh, disparate bits of information um, when we are having an acute stress response, because our bodies like run away from the bear, don't perish, right? Like we're not, we don't digest food as well when we are, when we are in a stress response, like all of these things, like our learning capacity is significantly lower when we are stressed, which works out if you're trying not to get eaten by a bear and you're a cave human. <laughs> but now with chronic stressors, we are chronically not digesting our food. We are chronically not hearing music. We are chronically not learning as much as we could, assimilating information, being able to cope with like the everyday life because we are chronically stressed. So yeah. I just like went off. Sorry. No, you are. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Yeah, this is, has me just coming back to, you know, those in our generation. You know, we're like, we're trying to be the, the generational breakers, right. Of all the things mm -hmm. that we were taught and really, no matter what your students do to prepare themselves, again, if they're, or your clients or whatever your business structure is, if you are not doing the work yourself to, to create that space, they're going to, you're going to keep getting the same responses. Like, I know that's a lot we're putting on ourselves, but if we're really wanting those changes that we keep saying we're wanting in the dance world, we have to do the work. The only reason why I am here being a coach in the dance world is because I went through my own shit. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I had to freaking deal with it. I had to unpack so much. I had to do therapy. I had to learn the things. I had to own the stuff. I had to learn what was toxic, identify that, learn to remove it, replace it with healthy, mm -hmm. and then work on letting my clients have that space to do the work as well. And yeah. if I was still doing all those other things, I wouldn't be able to be here today having this conversation. So it's on us individually. If we really want our dancers to have the change, we have to start, it has to start with us. Yeah. And, and often that takes doing things, making difficult decisions. Yes, right? it's like not I, easy. No. <laughs> and especially if you find yourself, if you're one of those fawners, right? If you're like yeah. me and you're a people pleaser, it is very difficult when a student stops you in the hallway, when you have five minutes between classes and wants to talk to you about improving their airbus extension, right? I, I 
before doing all this research and like before starting dance end, I would have just not peed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I would have not taken the break. But, but instead I'm learning that, you know, it, there's all of these studies like with like elementary and middle school educators and in, in the public school system that, you know, students learn twice as many soft skills as whatever their subject that they are learning, right? They're not just learning math. They're learning how to cope with adversity, how to problem solve, how to talk to people, how to talk to themselves. And if we as educators are not stopping down and saying, I'm so sorry, dancer A, I need this time for myself. I need to take five minutes to use the restroom and drink water and care for my body. Please email me and we'll talk about it later. That is setting a fantastic example for them. And that's telling them it's okay for them to do it themselves. When we are overworked, when we are not, you know, eating or drinking or using the restroom and we're, you know, when we're saying things like, don't do it like me, look at all these old hips, right? We're teaching dancers to speak not kindly about themselves, you know, to, yeah. to degrade their own, you know, abilities. So yeah. So it is de definitely like really difficult, but you know, it's one thing at a time. It's one day at a time, you know, and, and none of us are perfect. And that's also really great modeling. Mm -hmm. So if you catch yourself and you're not doing something that's, you know, great, then call it out, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. that's great. I would say that was one of the most liberating things in my journey because all all that stemmed like what instigated my process and like my releasing the toxic and all that and working through was my divorce. But um, one of the most liberating things was letting go of the need to be perfect, which of course was ingrained for 35 years in my life, right? Yeah. But now I absolutely love the messy, which I love the messy. I love choreographing and I love the messy in choreography. And I don't like, why couldn't I love that in other areas of my life, but not just in the studio and the choreographic process. Mm -hmm. So like now I, if you listen to my podcast episodes, you hear me hiccuping and laughing and like saying that, you know, I'm just here it is. I'm not going to edit out the things that make me human. Like I yeah. want us to all enjoy who we are first as humans and dancers second. And I just, sharing sharing these things you just did i was just thinking if you're right now listening to this as an educator business owner dance leader and you're like how do i know if i'm one of those people who needs to make the shift right well first the fact you're asking that question is huge but i would say which is kind of what you just shared you can share some examples but i would say some common things i see with those i work with that kind of at the beginning of that journey would be definitely imposter syndrome which is you creating all those lies those internal lies of comparison against somebody else has nothing to do with you and you just think that you do you cannot meet the mark of whatever of other whatever um unrealistic expectation you're creating mm -hmm. so imposter syndrome and then also like the lack of boundaries you know like you just shared right you give all of your time to other people you don't remember you can't remember the last time that you've done anything for yourself that you love you don't think it's okay to take time for yourself you ex you're, you're expected and think what what you're supposed to do is just give everything of you to everyone else and you resent that or you're just burnt out all the time and you don't know how to say no and you feel that you can't do the thing and you just don't think you're going to be good at it and who are you to do like and you have all these negative thought processes are unhealthy you're probably one of those people that needs to make some changes. <laughs> yeah. But with with love, because I mean, I've been there. And the thing also, I think, Michelle, you probably would agree with this is, this is not something you, you can do on your own well. It's something you need to have support with. And there are people like us who want to help you. There are people who've gone before you and have done the hard work and we understand 
that is difficult. And there's whole communities now in the dance world that have worked on or are out in the process of making these shifts. And we want to help more people do it. So if you listen or if you're listening to this and you're like, um, maybe it's me, but I'm afraid to come across imperfect, right? If you already have those doubts, Michelle, I don't want to, I mean, Michelle, are you okay if I offer that people reach out to you if they feel comfortable? Like, totally, I'm sure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> myself included, like just start and say, Hey, and we'll be here to listen. Well, you now we're here to ask you, how are you doing? And we're here to listen. And then if not for us to help you in your journey, we have resources, we have connections, we've done work that we can help connect with people who could help you on your journey. Absolutely. And, and I will say, you know, it's hard for us to make a change, but you know, often when you set boundaries for yourselves and your time, when you are a kind of a, a giver of your time and, and of all of your things and all of your resources, you can get pushback because it, it's a change for everyone else, mm -hmm. right? The people that are used to, you know, using you and your resources. Yes, so, yes. so that can feel hard. It can feel like, you know, no one likes me because I would rather everyone like me and me not just take care of myself. Um, that can be difficult unless you have someone to walk you through it and be there and, and kind of like provide outside, you know, outside perspective. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> As a mindset and business coach, I help all of my clients go on this journey. Mm -hmm. um, I would say just to add to that, just a little insight is it's actually a, a healthy sign if you are getting pushback. And naturally what happens when you start putting those boundaries up, it will naturally filter out the people who are not there to support you. They're just there for themselves. And yes, the quantity of people in your life may decrease, but the quality freaking skyrockets because you will elevate and you will attract all those who are elevating themselves and they want you to elevate and not at their own expense. And you'll just be surrounded by people who are of high quality, rooting for you, understand, and you are showing up so much more full in your life than you ever have before. I have way less people in my life, but the quality is phenomenal of those who I have in my life. Most of us have too many people in our lives anyway. Yeah, <laughs> so true. <laughs> I can maintain the relationships I have now because they, and the people in my life understand what I'm striving for and they're rooting for me and they don't take it personally. They say, hey, I know we haven't seen each other in a while, but I give me a little bit more time on this other thing or like just they're, they're not personal. They're not just there's not an agenda that they have just because we're in a relationship and it's just mutually desired for the other person to succeed and want to support how we can in a healthy way with our own boundaries in place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's so good. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. I just want to die. I'm going to shift topics into the business structure for just a minute. Sure. Yeah. Because I haven't had anyone on here yet who's been a co-founder. And so I would like to dive a little more into that business concept because I know that's not one we normally see in the dance world. We don't normally see co-founders of dance studios. We don't normally see, normally it's one. So mm -hmm. how, what is that like, um, I'm imagining that you two probably both have to have different strengths that complement each other in your areas in your business. And also, so do you like divide and conquer the tasks? Like kind of, can we just go a little bit of overview what it's like to have a co-person running your business versus it's just one? Totally. And I will say right now it's just me because Kristen's on maternity leave, right? Um, which is overwhelming. I realize how much she did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so we do. So there are some places where we show up together and some place, we, some places we divide. Um, and then, uh, and then there's some places that we just really haven't set it up yet, which I think like, you know, we're putting that structure in little by little, um, as far. So Kristen takes care or took, 
or will when she gets back. Temporarily takes, not, but normally yes, does. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, takes care of all social media. Um, she takes care of the Instagram, the Facebook, the, um, I take care of LinkedIn. Um, but she does all communication, all posts, all getting the, collecting the photos, like all of the things. And we do, you know, Instagram one post a day, uh, and then, you know, four stories a day and then like all of the, all of the things. So she takes care of social media. Um, I take care of all finance. So, um, I, I'm Going back to your degree girl. and the fact that you know, love, love those numbers I mean, makes I sense. I love a spreadsheet. So <laughs> like I take, I take care of like all of the kind of the business stuff. Right. So like I'm, you know, submitting our, you know, year in statement, like I'm like, um, I'm entering all of our, our expenses into the spreadsheet and that kind of thing. Um, and then as far as the company kind of everyday kind of stuff. Uh, so for dance and council, we take turns. So, um, she does one week, I'll do the next week. She does one week, I'll do the next week as far as what we're presenting. Um, she also takes care of booking all of our psychiatrists and psychologists and LMFTs who are our guests. And then I take care of paying them. So we can <laughs> split that. Um, and then as far as, so here is what we're still working on mm -hmm. is now that we have the structure and we have created I can't even like the amount of resources we have are, is like, is ridiculous. Like we have so much stuff that we have created and now we're in a space where we need to market it. Like, right. Mm -hmm. We need, like, we need sales. So we're trying to figure out sales. So, um, I've been heading up mostly B2B sales and Kristen has been managing um, individual relationships. Um, will, you, and, will, you, will you say what B two B is for those who don't? Yes. Yeah, so, so basically, selling to to businesses. So, yeah, um, okay. <laughs> you know, we have we actually just uh, we're going to be providing mental health resources for the educators and dancers at Broadway Dance Center for next year. Wow, that's phenomenal! Um, Congratulations! So Yay! That's so awesome! And what a huge so platform to help bring! That's a, what a massive reach of the dancers. Yeah, we were like kind of putting together their dancer workshops for the fall. And I was like, wait, how many students do you have? <laughs> so to like divide it up, um, which is cool. But, you know, so it's basically us selling to Broadway Dance Center rather than, you know, selling a council membership to one of the teachers at Broadway Dance Center. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been heading that up and Kristen's been heading up individual kind of stuff. But uh, and as far as travel is concerned, I've been doing most of the travel as far as speaking is concerned. Um, but coming up at the end of the summer, we're we're both on the road. So we're doing like uh Regold's uh mm -hmm. conference in Vegas, and then we're going out to Florida to do some trainings for I can't say what company yet. Right, it makes sense. <laughs> um, so that's so, amazing. Yeah, yeah that's kind that. of it. Thanks for giving that behind the scenes though. That's really good. I mean, that sounds very much like Kathy and I with the Dance Business Owner Summit, since we co-founded that, you know, we have the different areas that we've divided and conquer, and there's certain things that we show up together on. So yeah, it makes sense. 
Um, thanks, thanks. That'll be our behind the scenes bit today because we don't normally have that kind of view. Um, well, I can give you, and just to, to kind yeah. of talk between, um, so dividing too, as far as like uh, payment is concerned. So we do the profit first model. So mm -hmm. love the profit first model. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. That is something that's actually having my agenda to talk about in one of the future mm -hmm. episodes. It's phenomenal. I'll drop yeah. the link for that. <laughs> Yeah. So we do, we do that. So the, the 50% owners comp we split. So we have 25% each and the rest rolls back into the company. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's such a good, I love to hear that actually you love accounting and all of that, but you're doing the profit first model. Cause my experience has been that people who learn numbers first are opposed <laughs> to it. Cause it's, it goes against everything they've ever learned about it, <laughs> but. Well, I have also, you know, had, you know, experience with other things like like blogs or, you know, or other uh, business ventures mm -hmm. where I have had a lot of work with nothing to show for it. Um, so, you know, yeah. I think, you know, it's at this point, it's, it's minuscule, like no one's buying a Bentley yet. Like, right. but but, but, but yeah. you know, we, we can go to the Olive Garden for dinner and have a yeah. Yeah, it's the difference between actually getting paid versus not getting paid, where everything goes back yes. into the business versus you still get paid, even if it's the smaller portion. Yeah, Profit First was life-changing for me. So yeah. absolutely love it. Um, one thing I love that we just, yay, business. I'm geeking out on it too. Um, <laughs> so before I ask the final question today, I want to know, can you please share with the listeners how they can get in touch with you, how to learn more about Dancend and the resources you've mentioned? Yeah. Um, so you can go to our website, dansend.com, D-A-N-S-C-E-N-D, -E like transcend, but dance. Um, we are very active on Instagram. Uh, so dansend official at dansend official. Well, we'll be more active now when Kristen's back from her maternity leave. Um, we're also on Facebook. We have a dance in Facebook. Um, and then also uh, you can just email us. So it's uh, dansend at gmail.com. Um, we have had so many different emails for different questions. Um, anything mental health related in the dance industry, we are happy to help you with. Not saying that Kristen and I will help you with it, but we have a very large um, group of mental health professionals and companies and organizations that we work with that um, that specifically work with pretty much an, any, any challenge that you might be experiencing. Mm. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, I happen to also follow Dance End and I really love their content. It's always great just to continue to receive that regular information and education, even just on the free resource of their Instagram platform. But okay, thanks so much for being here today, Michelle. And I would love to know what does it mean to you to be the CEO of your life and business? Ah, so I thought about this for a while. <laughs> um and it it means let me give you a little backstory. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did grow up in the dance industry as a as a people pleaser, as someone who was always willing to do anything anyone told me to do. I am like the best employee because I will work 50, 60, 70 hours to like do the things you tell me to do. Um, being the CEO for me means setting up my values, my boundaries and my goals and sticking to it no matter what. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, and that sounds so healthy. If, <laughs> if someone hears that and they think it sounds selfish, then I wanna help you, DM me. 
<laughs> but too, like that sounds so healthy and that sounds like you're going to have the life you desire because you're doing that for yourself. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Michelle, today being here, representing Dance End and sharing so much insight into the shift we're striving to make happen in the dance industry. So everyone can have a healthy, fulfilling life personally and professionally addressing the mental health. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Dance CEO Podcast, where aspiring or established dance business owners and entrepreneurs learn to become the CEO of your life and business. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review and rating. To stay up to date and get all the behind the scenes content, you can follow me, your host, on Instagram at the Dance CEO Coach. Until next time.